what a joy it is to be all together again. Week two, as Kyle said, it's fun to say that together. And uh, we're going to be in week two uh, of our series entitled Love Moves. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 15 in just a moment. So you can go ahead and grab a Bible and head there. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. If you don't have a Bible, uh, grab your phone, pull it up on that. Uh, we'll have it on the screen in a few moments as well. Uh, but as we get this, this thing started, we're going to talk about today living like Jesus. We're kind of going through our mission statement as a church that, that we exist to love Jesus, live like Jesus, and lead other people to Jesus. Today we're talking about living like Jesus. And here's the reality that I know is that most of us in this room, most of us in our world would agree with that sentiment that, that we should live like Jesus. Uh, I think what would Jesus do bracelets or even making a comeback somehow, right? And I don't know that everybody who wears those is a Christian. Like, I don't know who everybody who wears the like Jesus is my homeboy t-shirt knows Jesus, but we all like this idea of like Jesus was a remarkable man, a great teacher. And if everybody were to live a little bit more like Jesus, the world would be a better place. And while I think we would agree on that concept, I think many of us would disagree, and I think I would disagree with many of those people on what that actually means and looks like. I see some people uh, are going to say, hey, you should be more like Jesus when it fits their, their preference or their agenda or their lifestyle. And, and they'll pick out specific pictures of Jesus. Like uh, some people will pick out, maybe this is you in this room, like party Jesus. And you'll say, hey, man, I need to hang out with these people who may be a little sketchy, but like, and I need to, may need to give up my personal holiness a little bit, but, but that's what Jesus would do. I mean, you know, Jesus, he walked with the sinners. He, he ate dinner with the tax collectors. He hung out with the prostitutes. He turned water into wine. And so I'm just going to live like Jesus real quick, right? And you're focusing on a few specific pictures of Jesus, like party, party Jesus, and then some of us, we go to the other end of the spectrum, and maybe because of those party Jesus people, we're like, no, 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 like be like Jesus, live like Jesus. That's like rigid Jesus. And sometimes parents, if we're honest in church today, this is what we do, okay? We're like, hey, um, you know, Jesus rebuked a lot of people, and so I can get on to my kids, right? Or like when your kids get older, you don't want them to go to the parties, and so you focus on all the passages where like Jesus fasted and prayed, and you're like, hey, you'd be more like Jesus. What would Jesus do? He would fast from that alcohol. He would fast from that. And we just kind of pick rigid Jesus or party Jesus, and we use it for our own purposes. Now, now what's the problem with that? We're trying to put Jesus in a box, and what he makes clear even in John 15 is he does not fit there. See, we see in Scripture that Jesus is full of grace and full of truth. He's full of grace and full of truth. He's not half and half. He's not a creamer, right? He's completely, he's perfect. He's full of grace perfectly, but he's also full of truth perfectly simultaneously. That's what makes Jesus so glorious. That's why we worship him as God, amen? And so here's the problem. We try to segment out Jesus into our specific box. Oh, be like that, Jesus. It does not work, and so as we talk about living like Jesus, we have to be clear on what that means. We also be, have to be clear on how do we actually do that? You see, as many, many times we have the sentiment, we, we speak the words of like, yes, I would love to be more like Jesus, but we have no clue actually how to live like Jesus. 
And so we're going to look at that today in John chapter 15. You can look at the text with me, John 15, starting in verse 1. It says this. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into a fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Now, if you are new to the Bible, maybe you read that and you think, hey, is this a lesson about like farming or uh, working a vineyard? And to some extent, it is. I think everything that Jesus says practically about vine, branches, and fruit is true, functionally in life. And yet, if you know anything about Jesus, you know there's a deeper meaning here. You see, sometimes we look at Jesus's illustrations or or word pictures and we think, well, those are kind of distracting. But the reality is they're always unveiling. We just have to do some work to, to peel back the layers and see, Jesus, what are you really getting at here? And so we're going to see this, this concept of, of a vine and branches and, and fruit, but, but we're going to see out of that this idea of abiding, pruning, and bearing, and what that looks, looks like as we seek to live like Jesus. And so first we have to put ourselves, we're, we're in 2023, we have to put ourselves in Jesus's day a couple thousand years ago, like first century Israel. We have to understand why would Jesus use this picture of a vine? Uh, well, the first reason is, is biblically. Jesus knew that his audience would have been familiar with the Old Testament, uh, that the Old Testament, the, the, the people of God, Israel, they were often called the vine. Uh, we see one example, Jeremiah 2.21. It says this, Yet I planted you a choice vine. He's talking about Israel, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? You see, if you know any of the story of the Old Testament, the, the people of God, the nation of Israel, they were meant to be this, this choice vine. That, that branches were supposed to come off them, that they were supposed to produce fruit, that they, they were meant to be blessed, to be a blessing. That the other nations and the other people groups were meant to look at Israel and see a reflection of, of God and, and see who God was and his character and his nature and his grace and his truth. And they were meant to see a, a glimpse of that through the people of Israel. And as they produced fruit... Other nations, other people got to see a picture of who God was, the true vine. And yet, even in Jeremiah, and if you know any of the story of Israel, we see this degenerate people, this people infected by sin that didn't produce true fruit. 
that didn't lead other people to God always. And Jesus, as he says, hey, I'm the true vine, he knew that his audience would think of, oh, you're like what Israel could never be. You're a perfect reflection of the Father, a perfect reflection of, of grace and truth. So he gives this word picture because it made a lot of sense to these people biblically. Uh, but it also made a lot of sense to them practically. Uh, that in, in first, century, first century Israel, uh, a grapevine was something very common that you would see. In fact, some commentators, as they look at this, right before this passage, Jesus says, hey, rise up and let's go. That, that maybe we should be picturing that Jesus is actually walking and talking with his disciples and that maybe he saw a grapevine and he starts giving this message based on the grapevine right then and there. Right? And the reality is you would see these grapevines all over the place in first century Israel. And so people were very familiar with the concept of a vine, that was a source of life and strength for, for branches and, and these luscious grapes to come off of them. And so Jesus gives something very familiar to teach a deeper lesson. But again, we have to unpack that a little bit and see what he's really trying to teach us. And, and, and it leads us to our first point, that, that living like Jesus starts with abiding in Jesus. And if you're taking notes, you can write that down. Living like Jesus starts with abiding in Jesus. That if we ever seek to, to bear fruit that looks like Jesus, it doesn't happen as we abide or attach to our own vine. It only happens as we attach to the true vine, Jesus Christ. And so as you look at the text we just read, I would encourage you to do that. Just kind of glaze over it with me. We, we see this phrase, abide in me, abides in us multiple times. He says to abide in his word. His words abide in us in verse seven. He says we abide in prayer. He says we ask whatever we wish and he gives that to us. It, we're meant to, to set up shop with Jesus. We're meant to, like branches to a vine, attach ourselves to him. That, that word abide literally means to remain or, or stay or take up residence. Right? So, we, so we have to be clear. This isn't talking about like an Airbnb. This is like a house that you live in, that you put up pictures on the wall, that you connect yourself, attach yourself to Jesus. This isn't coming to church once a week. This isn't just throwing up one verse on your Facebook. This is sitting in, remaining in, abiding in, connected to Jesus Christ. If we, if we seek to live like Jesus, then it starts with abiding in, in Jesus. And he gives us this word picture to make that abundantly clear. Verse five, he, he gets a little bit clearer, a little bit more blunt. He says, he's the vine, we're the branches. If we abide, if we move in with him, that's when we can bear real fruit. But if we don't, he says, we can do nothing. Verse six, he says, we'll wither, we'll burn up. Listen, here's the harsh reality that we see. If we aren't attached to the true vine, the mediator, the perfect one that, that gains us access to God, not because of our works, but because of his completed person and work. If we're not connected to him, 
then we eventually, even if we see some, what looks like fruit for a little while, we eventually fall off the branch because we have no source of life. And what do you know about fruit that falls off the branch? Eventually, maybe not right away, but eventually it dies. It rots. It starts to eat itself. And that's a picture of our lives that are completely removed from the true vine, Jesus Christ. And he's trying to show you, he's trying to show them, honestly, right before he goes to the cross, right before he rises again and leaves them, hey, the only way you have any hope of living like me is if you start abiding in, in me. And so if we, if we want to live like Jesus, we have to abide in Jesus. Without him, we can do nothing. And yet when I think I, I say that, if we were all just to think about for a minute, I think we know people in our lives personally who are definitely not attached to the true vine of Jesus. And yet they seem like they're doing something. Think about like just famous people that you know, like Elon Musk. Like, I don't, I don't know, Tim, I don't know if he's attached to the, the vine of Jesus. I don't know if he's a Christian, but, but it seems like Tesla's coming out with new cars like every year. Didn't he just buy Twitter? Like, is it, I mean, he seems like he's doing a lot. See, what Jesus is talking about is doing anything of eternal value. Yeah, people can do what looks to be like fruit, but it's artificial because it's connected to an artificial vine. So some of us, we, we, we've seen this in our own lives. We, we've attached ourselves practically to something that looks like a true vine, but it's not something like money. And, and you had that promotion at your job and you, you, you lifted it up ahead of Jesus, if you're honest. And, and for a while in your life, you're just like, hey, I gotta work 70 hours a, a week to the neglect of my family. Tim, this is what's gonna bring success in my life and status in my life and, and retirement in my life and a second home in my life. And so you functionally, you attached yourself to that artificial vine and for a time, it looked like fruit. And yet eventually you turned 40 or 45 or you had some conflict in your marriage or your kid walked away from the faith and you weren't around to help intervene and help lead and point back to Jesus and, and crisis started to develop in your life. And that artificial fruit, it became real clear it was artificial and it wasn't lasting. Some of you, it's like uh, with my kids, like uh, even still as my kids have gotten older, we have fruit snacks around our house all the time. These little gummies, you know, that seem like they're not that bad for you. And then you look at the ingredients, right? And here's the, the, my favorite kind of fruit snacks. My favorite kind of gummies are the ones that look like fruit. Have you seen these? Like, they're, like the grapes look like grapes. The cherry, it looks like a real cherry. And here's the crazy thing. There is absolutely no fruit in those things. There's only high fructose corn syrup, but they look like fruit, but they're not fruit. I mean, we have so many things like that in our lives, don't we? Money, success, sex, substance. It looks like fruit, control. It looks like fruit. I'm kind of making everything work, Tim. Like I'm, I'm on this success train on the, the ladder to the top of my company. You know, my kids, Tim, my, I mean, you should see them. Like, look at my Instagram. I mean, they're the best kids in the world. 
And some of us as parents, if we're honest, where you have, whether you have little kids or adult kids, you have made your kids the true vine. And yet they're their artificial vine. They're kids. Like their, their frontal lobe hasn't been developed till they're like 25 years old. And yet as parents, we're, no, they're like, I, I, I'm just going to put them in the right school. That's going to, I'm just going to put them in the right church. I'm just going to take them to Sunday school. And Tim, they're going to be amazing. And it's going to be, and, and I was reading a psychologist the other day who just talked about, hey, if you put your kids at the center of the universe, while you may have good intentions, they can't bear up under that weight of the universe. They can't produce branches that produce fruit for your life. So parents, sometimes you need to take a date away from the kids to invest in your marriage. Sometimes you need to tell your kids like you're not the center of the universe. Sometimes you need to tell yourself that they're not the center of the universe. Jesus Christ is. And so even if you have adult kids, you're saying, well, Tim, they don't follow Jesus and that breaks my heart. Listen, it should, but that's, that's not your true vine meaning that's not your hope. That's not your ultimate security in life. That's not ultimately, listen, parents, you need to know this, especially if you have an adult kid who doesn't follow Jesus. I know there's shame with that. I know there's a lot of guilt with that. I know that's, that's, that's awful in your life, but that does not affect your identity, your security eternally with Christ. They're not your true vine. He is, and you can still bear fruit. Because you, you're connected to him. Amen? This is living like Jesus starts with abiding in Jesus, attaching yourself to him and him alone. So a good question for us today would be to ask, what are you attaching your life to? Maybe it is your kids and all the sports and all the scholarships. and all. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's success and your job. Maybe it's control. Maybe it's comfort. And if any of that gets disrupted and it throws you off, what are you attaching your life to? Living like Jesus starts with abiding in Jesus. Here's our second point. Living like Jesus involves pruning. This is going to be a fun one. Look at verse two with me. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Now, when I first read this, I was not encouraged. Okay? If you look at it closely, the whole idea is like, if you don't bear fruit, you're taken away. And yet, if you do bear fruit, you're cut. And as I read that, I thought, is there an option C? Like, like I'm looking at the multiple choice, like none of the above? <laughs> And I think we have to, to look at this because whenever we see parts of scripture like this, where it's like, oh, God cuts us. And if you know anything about pruning, that, that, that hurts, that's painful. Like why? I thought God was good. I thought God wanted good things for me. And yet you're saying God cuts me. Like, why would he do that? And here's what I would tell you is that everything that's worth anything in life is like that. Right? I mean, if you think about like literally, like just simply like plants and flowers, how do they grow? When you prune them, when you cut off the dead branches, cut off the dead limbs, they start to, to grow and bear more fruit. That's how it, it works. Even just practically, simply with, with plants and flowers. You look at your retirement. Right? How does your retirement grow? You have to cut away from your paycheck and put it in a Roth IRA so that it grows over time in theory. <laughs> 
Like everything that's worth anything in life works how Jesus is saying your spiritual life works. You think about your health. I mean, literally, what is lifting weights? It's tearing down your muscle fibers so they can grow back stronger. You're cutting away so you can produce more. This is how things work. And it does not work unless you cut away. I was thinking about it uh, this week as I was preparing for this, that, that specifically with your health. Like some of us, man, you're hanging on to those New Year's resolutions, aren't you? It's the end of January. And you're like, I'm still I'm hanging on. Some of you are like, what New Year's resolutions? And, and you're like, I'm going to eat healthy. And like, so you're like eating some broccoli, but you're, you're washing it down with Dr. Pepper. And you see, that ain't going to work. Okay, let me just tell you as your pastor today, be honest with you, because I love you. That's not going to work, right? You can eat the broccoli, but you need to cut out the dessert soda, right? That's the way it works. That's the way you'll get healthier, the way you'll grow in your health. Uh, I'm from Texas and uh, grew up as a kid in Texas, uh, just not eating very healthy. And uh, my wife and I went home to Texas last summer. And I remember we were at a gathering and my wife was just commenting on the green beans that my aunt made. And she just went up to her afterwards. It was like, hey, you got to tell me, you got to give me that recipe. How did you make these green beans? They are so delicious. And, and she looked at her and just said, sweetie, here's the secret. I don't need to give you the recipe. Here's the secret. I just soak them in butter and bacon fat all night. <laughs> and that's how they're so good. And let me just tell you, I think we've lost the point. Like you need to cut out the bacon fat and cut out the butter and just eat the green bean for you to grow in your health. Amen. But man, those green beans were fantastic though. I, I'll be honest with you. Y'all can steal that recipe. This is how everything in life that's worth something grows, changes in a positive way. So I want you to see that, to see what Jesus is saying. Why would God cut me? Like if everything else just practically in life works like that, why not spiritually? That, that's how it works in, in your life. Here's the distinction. With God, like the one who hung the stars in the, in the sky, God, the one who set the planets in motion, God, the one who is perfect, full of grace and full of truth. With God, you're not relying upon some branches to kind of like the market to hope it works out. You're not relying upon yourself and your tactics and your discipline in the gym or with your diet. You're relying upon the God of the universe who with his pruning comes a promise that if he prunes you, you will bear more fruit. Amen? You're not hanging on whether inflation crushes the market. You're not hanging on any of those things like you are with retirement or your diet. You're not hanging on your metabolism. Praise Jesus. You're hanging on the one who created all, the one who sustains all by, by the power of his very word, scripture says. And when he prunes you, then there's some promise of purposefulness that you will bear more fruit, that you will start to live like him. And I need to tell you some of this today because some of you, God's pruning you right now and it hurts. He's cutting and it hurts. And some of you, man, he's cutting your control. Over the last couple of years with the pandemic, 
he's cutting your control. We all thought, no, we're, we're in control. We got this. And it's like, no, you got to stay at home. How am I going to run my business? Well, I guess I'm not in control. I guess I don't run my business. How am I going to do this in life? How, as a pastor, even in the church world, how are we going to gather as a church? Like, no, we have, temp, we have a system here. Like, we meet on Sundays, and, and people gather in the, the groups during the week, and people give that way, and they serve that way together. It's all, and it was just like, for a couple years, it was like, no, you're, you're not in control, Tim. And I was preaching to a lens with nobody in the room. It was terrible. Listen, I think for some of us, even in the church world, God was, was pruning some, some comforts, some things we had taken for granted. I just, I'd go to church on Sunday. I go to the gym. I go to this other place. It's just kind of a thing I do. And how many of you know, I mean, even I'm a pastor. I felt this way, but I think some of you, because you told me you missed gathering with the people of God. And you realize how much you needed to gather with the people of God. It wasn't just an accessory to your life. It was an essential component of your life. And that's why many people ended up in depression and anxiety because they, they missed this thing that they took for granted because they thought they were in control. Am I preaching to anybody today? Anybody feel that? Listen, God was, was cutting away our comforts to show us we have an audience of one that we're living our lives for and that all these other things that we give ourselves to, we thought they were so essential. They're not. For some of us, God, God is cutting away that, that control, that comfort in your life. And maybe it's not the pandemic. Maybe it's something else right now that you could just say right away, this is what I'm thinking about. It's hurting in my life right now. Could it be that God's cutting that thing away so that you would get more of him? The pruning is leading to the abiding, which is the only way the bearing happens. You got to go through that. And the good thing is, is, God is good and God will be faithful and he will produce fruit through that pruning. I've seen this in my own life. I've mentioned it even today and I've told the story before, but we first came to Phoenix to start Phoenix Bible Church. Man, it was a season of pruning. God cut away all of our comfort, all of our security. The church we came here with left us behind. We didn't have a salary. I didn't have insurance. We were having a third child. It was a hard time. It was a time of pruning. It was a time of a lot of change. But now looking back, man, I just see God, God was pruning to lead to a, a bearing. Because it was in that time, like, man, God, I just wrote down a couple of things of what God pruned in my life. He pruned my comfort and security. Like all this structure and this setup of why we came to Phoenix, he just, he took it away. But he, he cut that away and it hurt for a greater purpose. He took away my comfort. He cut away my comfort and he replaced it with resilient faith. So that to be honest with you, because of a couple things, the way we started the church, an eviction a few years later, losing my production director to uh, a death way too soon and going through all those things and all that pruning produced more bearing of fruit than I could ever imagine in my life. Produced marriages that were healed by Jesus in and through Phoenix Bible Church. It produced people going from death to life in Jesus through Phoenix Bible Church. And Phoenix Bible Church wouldn't be here if I didn't experience, we didn't experience that, that pruning. That's how it happens. 
And listen, that's a, the resilient faith. I'm glad I have that because there was a pandemic and it was hard. And listen, it didn't crush me and it didn't crush our church. We flourished through that. We bore fruit. Why? Because of years ago, some pruning of our comfort. And so that when the pandemic happened, like, man, I was like, okay, okay. Started rolling up my sleeves. All right, here we go again. Some people say to me with, a, with this union, like, well, that, that's got to be hard. <laughs> like two churches, kind of younger, older, down the street, two names. All the, that's got to be, Tim, is that hard? And I'm like, it's a little hard. I appreciate you encouraging me with that. Because that's, that's all they say. They're like, man, that's got to be hard. And then they just like walk away. And I'm like, hey, th- thank you. I don't know. And I'm like, yeah, it's a little hard, but we're seeing God do incredible things. And, I, and it's his purposes. And we love it that he's doing this. Amen. But yeah, it's, it's hard. It's challenging. But man, when we came here to start Phoenix Bible Church, that was challenging too. And we didn't have any people around us. We didn't have family or friends in the city of Phoenix. I, I didn't have an amazing team that I have now. So this is easy compared to that. Because why? How do I know that? Because God pruned away my comfort and control and replaced it with resilient faith, with community that I needed. I needed that. Even when I didn't know I needed that. What's he trying to prune in your life? Maybe for some of you, it is comfort. Maybe it's associated with this union. And maybe you're like, Tim, I used to sit in another building. Or I used to sit in a different seat, and now there's not as many seats. And I used to serve this way, or we used to sing this way. And to be honest, you're a little bit uncomfortable. Could it be that God is cutting away your comfort to show you a greater cause in him? Could that be? Living like Jesus there's abiding in Jesus and there's a pruning away of anything that doesn't fit with Jesus. Amen? Last point, bearing. Living like Jesus involves bearing fruit. Verse 10, look at that verse. He says, if you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. This is so interesting. Uh, we often pit abiding against obeying, but look at what Jesus said. I'm gonna read it again. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. Seems like Jesus just said like obeying and loving Jesus, they're two pedals on the same bike. We shouldn't segment those out. We shouldn't separate those out. They go together. And so as much as Jesus talks about abiding in this passage, he also talks about bearing fruit. Six times he talks about bearing fruit. I love the way Chuck Swindoll says it. Uh, the chancellor of the seminary I went to, he says it so well. Faith is like calories. You can't see it, but you see the effects. Amen. Okay. That's the way it works. The expectation is this, that you abide in Jesus. Things get pruned in your, pruned in your life that aren't like Jesus. And you start to act like Jesus. You start to produce fruit like Jesus. And yet, as I think as we talk about words like producing, obeying, bearing, some of us who grew up in the church, we get a little twitch in our neck. Isn't this legalistic? Aren't we just supposed to be with Jesus? Isn't it a relationship to know, not something just to do? And yet I would say, if we look closer at the context, Jesus makes it really clear. In fact, if you wanna keep looking with me, verse 12, the very next verse after the passage we just read, Jesus says, love one another. 
Verse 13, he goes on, greater love has no one than this, than he who lays down his life for his friends. See, Jesus wraps this whole producing, bearing, obeying, and love. What, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? These com- list of rules, like 10 commandments, 613 commandments in the Old Testament. What does Jesus say? He sums it up like this, love God, love one another. And he does it here again. See, we pit these against one another. Jesus says, no, they go together. Obeying and loving, they go, to, they go together. That's how it works. If you look at the fruit of the spirit, Galatians chapter five. Hey, Tim, what does it look like? All this bearing fruit stuff. What does that look like? If only the Bible would tell us. All right, Galatians chapter five. It looks like love. Looks like joy, peace, patience, kindness. You know, almost all of those, you know how we exhibit that fruit? With one another, not by ourselves. Is some of bearing fruit like the personal holiness, cutting the sin out of your life? Absolutely. But much of what Jesus talks about, much of what even here that he wraps this whole idea of producing and bearing fruit in is loving one another. Some of you, the most spiritual thing you can do to live like Jesus today is go to starting point and start connecting with God's people and loving God's people and serving God's people because that's the picture Jesus paints of what it means to to bear fruit. That's what living like Jesus means. It's with a one another. Some of you, the second most spiritual thing you can do is to go to our life and community class that starts next Monday on February 6th and just learn about how do I love one another? How do I I love and live with people who, who aren't like me, who don't vote like me, who don't look like me, how do I do this? If that's bearing fruit, we better look at that closely and see how we can do that, amen? So some of us, man, we need to respond today. How do we live like Jesus? It starts with abiding in Jesus. It, it, it goes to a pruning away things that don't fit with Jesus, but then it also involves bearing fruit like Jesus with one another as we love one another. That's why we put on starting point. That's why we do life and community class. These aren't just spiritual practices just for us to have something to do. This is how we live like Jesus. And we want you to participate in that. Uh, It's why we take communion. It's why we're taking communion, to be honest with you, throughout this whole series, is to fix our eyes upon Jesus. As we love him, as we live like him, as we lead others to him, that it all starts with Jesus. And so we're going to take communion in a few moments and we're going to remind ourselves what Jesus's audience was, was really in tune with. You see this whole little message Jesus gives, it's right after the last supper. It's right before Jesus goes to the cross and dies on the cross and sheds his blood, which is what the last supper and communion represent. It, it's all meant to point us back that, that Jesus loves you that it's his finished personal work on your behalf. That's the only way we can live like Jesus as abiding in that Jesus. And as we take the elements, as we take the bread and we take the juice, we're reminded to abide in that Jesus. We're reminded to prune anything else in our lives. The shame, the regret, the sin, the self-righteousness, anything else in our lives that isn't about Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection for you on your behalf. And so we're going to end today taking communion to abide in Jesus, 
as we seek to live like Jesus. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for this beautiful truth that is in some ways pretty simple. I mean, even just the, the agricultural components of this are pretty simple just to look at and say, oh yeah, that's the way it works. And yet it's a little bit more difficult to live. It's difficult to live like Jesus. And yet this morning you have given us everything we need to do that. You've given us Jesus, his life, his death that we're gonna celebrate and remember his blood and his broken body on our behalf. For all the times we haven't lived like you, God, you sent Jesus to die for that. And so as we take communion in a moment, I pray that we would, we would stay a little bit. We would re remain, we would abide in Jesus. We pray, we would confess sin and we would experience some pruning even so that we might see some bearing of fruit in our lives as we seek to live like you. God, thank you for sending Jesus on our behalf. I just pray right now for anybody in this room who maybe they came to church today because they're trying to live like you and yet they don't even know you, that they would know right now that's, that's impossible. And yet right now in this moment, they could stop listening to me and start talking to you and give you their sin and give you their life and start experiencing a relationship with you and, and forgiveness in you and start to, to see what it means to live like you. And God, I pray if they, if they pray that, if they talk to you, if they give their life to you, they would take communion for the first time. God, help us to fix our eyes upon you. Help us to abide in you as we live like you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.